Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. Felix, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing great, Shay. This is getting pretty old, but I'm I'm joining you from across the country here, thanks to the miracles of technology, but very happy to be recording with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How much longer are you going to be going out there for? Do you know? Uh, the project that I'm on probably will be wrapping up by the end of September, I'm thinking. So still a, a lot of frequent flyer miles to go. I think I just passed the 50k aeroplan miles with Air wow. Canada yeah. um, halfway through the year. So yeah, there's there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of frequent flyer points on my account at least. For sure. That's yeah. crazy. So what are we gonna be covering today? Well, we're gonna be covering a little bit of news about some of the cool things that have been going on in Fab, but the main topic will be our thoughts on traveling. We do have some pretty cool events coming up in the last half of the year. Um, we've talked about being excited potentially for Vegas and Canadian Nationals coming up and just wanted to share our thoughts as a couple people that didn't have a lot of experience traveling before, but now we have a few events under our belt and we both had a really good time and really eager to share that experience before we get into all of that, though, Shay, how was your previous week playing Fab? A few weeks ago, we kind of talked about uh, what we were going to do um, after the RTN season. And I had said that I was probably going to take a couple of weeks off. And I kind of didn't really believe myself when I said that. And I actually, excluding the community community day that we had, I actually took about three weeks off of playing in any armories. And uh, this last Sunday was my first armory uh, back in like three weeks. Uh, it felt really good. It was nice to kind of play again. I'd been wanting to play and it felt really good to get back into it. We only had seven people at the armory, uh, which is, you know, fine. It, it still fired. So that was good. I uh, took two decks like I usually do. I brought a, a Riptide deck and my OTK Viserai deck. And I presented both my deck boxes to my opponent in the first round. And I said, pick one and that's what I'll play for the tournament. That is not a part of the official start of game procedure, is it, Shay? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. I but see. But I am the least official person you'll meet. <laughs> I see. So what did you end up playing? I ended up playing the OTK Viserai. Um, mm. I went 1-2. and two. Uh, I think there was an opportunity to go 2-1 uh, in there, so I think I may have made a couple of misplays with with the deck, but it was it's fun. It's always an enjoyable... Uh, deck for me to play it's it is kind of you have to be a special kind of person i think to play decks and fab that don't do anything because you just get beat up all game while you're trying to sort of set up your one goal and it's not very fun if you don't get to even try to do that goal like if you die um, before ever you know getting all of the rune chance to kill your opponent in one turn it's kind of a letdown but you know when you kill them it's super exciting because they tried so hard to take you down and then just one fell swoop you win the game it's always kind of fun i think so is your kill turn like some mauve ninth blade or what what are you doing now to OTK people? Without Skeleta, we don't get to do the mauve ninth blade anymore. Mm. Um so it's current this current build is literally um like 45 rune chance in a ninth blade. Mm. Uh, it's kind of the goal. Uh if you can't get that far then it has sort of like a a secondary package of generating a few rune chance and um playing looming doom and killing your opponent on 
your turn with Looming Doom because nobody brings more than AB1 against Vizrai most of the time. So if you can get them down to like three to five health in that OTK and then find a Looming Doom, you can uh, then you just have to survive for that many turns. This is a, a very you type of deck. Yeah, I mean, I build stuff all the time. I Whether they're good or not, it doesn't matter. I just come up with an idea I want to try. And for some reason, I've been hanging on to this one like forever since I started playing the game. Right. Uh, I started with OTK Fizz and Blitz back in Skirmish Season 1. Uh, so I've been kind of playing this deck or this style of deck uh, f- ever since I started in Fab, really. Um, it's changed, obviously, over time. Oh, that's sweet. How about you? How was your fe- week in Fab? Yeah, it was really good. Went to two armories. I'm I'm trying to be fairly regular in attendance at two of our armories on Tuesdays and Saturdays, uh, which has been working well. I am searching for my new main, uh, my new hero. Um, and Droma is definitely one of the candidates, so, mm. so played her in CC. I remember doing pretty well. I forget if it was 2-1 or, or 3-0 um, on Tuesday. And Blitz on Saturdays, it's uh, one of the newer stores is is trying to get armory set up. So always a good time to play some Blitz there, play some Ira, jam some games. Um, and I guess one fun fact about the armories here in Calgary, I guess Shay and I live on opposite sides of our city, which is way too big. It's surrounded by nothing but prairies, and it just sprawls everywhere. Um, and we we tend to go to opposite armories, so we actually don't get to see each other mm-hmm. as often as people might think. It's a bit of a shame. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, played some Dromai and played some Ira and Blitz, and yeah, great, great times all around. Just still meandering a little bit and just focusing on having a good time uh, while we we wait impatiently for more details on the upcoming set. And speaking of the upcoming set, we have some exciting news about uh, next week's episode. Yeah, we're going to have a couple of special guests join us and we'll go over some or all of the cards that uh, have been spoiled up into the point that we start recording. Yeah, and typically we record on Sundays, so that would be the second, which would put us right in time to get hit with the bunch of shadow spoilers on the second, which are coming right after the bunch of light spoilers on the 30th, so a couple days before that. Shay, we were talking just before recording, there may be some conspiracy theories about why they're grouped like this. Yeah, I think you're the conspiracy theorist on this one. I wasn't really thinking too far into this. I do like where your head is at, that, again, Fab is trying to be more story-focused and driven. So I think there's definitely some merit to um, your theory on as to why the light and the shadow spoilers are set the way they are. How about you explain that to our audience? So the theory goes, and today is the, you know... We, we don't know, so I'm putting this out there, so it could be completely wrong. But remember for Dynasty, we were spoiled the Emperor, and LSS kept hidden the existence that the Emperor was dead and the existence of the Assassin class and all of that. So they let us stew for a little bit, thinking that the Emperor was super cool, going to put down the Rebellion or whatnot. And then suddenly we got that cool trailer, I remember dropping that spoiled regicide and just said the emperor is dead. Um, so a bit of a 
a twist. You know, yeah, I don't think anybody saw that coming. That was a really cool idea. Um, and I, th- I think it also disheartened a bunch of people when they were super stoked on the emperor being a really cool blitz hero, dual talent, dual class. Yeah. And the theory goes we're getting a bunch of light cards early so all the unity cards we're hyping up the the light heroes we think solana is all cool and and gonna win and we're gonna get all their spoilers first showing them gearing up for this epic battle and then two days later after the big bunch of light spoilers we get a card spoiled the fall of solana wouldn't that be cool I think that would be super cool. Now, keep in mind, though, this is the second set with the light and shadow concept, and there is going to be a third one. So be interesting to see how far they take these uh, light and shadow sides and how far the war goes. Does it swing ultimately in one, in one side's favor? And then in the third one, they um, the opposing side that's losing comes back and wins. It'll be really interesting to see how the story gets driven here and then what they do um in whatever it is 2025 when they release the third um light and shadow set i'm really interested to know um i i am very intrigued by the fact that they've organized their spoiler season like this and man maybe the next draftable set will conclude the story or maybe yeah they're gonna let it simmer for a little while um yeah i think prism awakener of soul will have a big uh, piece to the story in this set um, do we see soul actually get risen or what happens uh, to wraith so it'll be I'm, I'm really excited oh yeah well stay tuned we'll uh we'll have a couple special guests on and we'll go through our our thoughts about the reveal so far we'll see if there's uh any merit to our conspiracy theories and we'll go through more on a card by card basis well, speaking about uh, spoilers, we would like to discuss one pretty cool thing. And Flesh and Blood got a article in IGN. Is IGN something that you read, Shay? No, it's not. I, like, I'm obviously aware of IGN, but I don't spend a lot of time surfing um, video game websites or any any websites. A lot of my work has stuff locked down, so it makes it a lot harder to do on company time, uh, oh, yeah. which is probably where I would do it. Um, but I did, you know, when I got home, I did look into it. Um, and man, what a fantastic article article. Uh, it was really re- well written. The uh, interview that Ryan did with James White had a ton of information, um, that I, I picked up on that I'm super excited about. And then the video, the United we stand video that was, um, well voice recorded, um, and the art behind it was super exciting uh and awesome what did you think about the the video yeah the video was cool it was pretty hyped to see just that extra level of production i mean they've been stepping up their game um again and again i remember again the dynasty trailer stands out uh to me that one didn't have voice i think the outsiders promo did but this one for some reason just um in my mind elevated it to the next level i'm wondering if we're going to get another version for the shadow as well um i'm curious to see if there's like a shadow team up or some way to highlight vincent or 
whatever that looks like. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I share all those thoughts. IGN isn't something that I browse on a on a any kind of regular basis either. Just like you, I am aware of it, but I think it's it's great that we're getting more and more mainstream eyes and ears, I guess. Yeah, I kind of dove into it because I was curious to know how big IGN was. I had seen some people talking about how huge this was for Fab, and I was like, cool, yeah, you know, I'm obviously aware of it, and a lot of people are. Um, But from the little bit of research that I could find, I would say that IGN is probably the number one gaming website in the world as far as views, and probably it looked like the top 300 viewed website in the world also so it reached a lot of eyes or can has the potential to reach a lot of eyes so i do actually agree with you know the people that are out there talking about how big this is for flesh and blood so i was really stoked to see kind of those numbers and actually really surprised to see how big a video game or gaming website uh, news website could be so that was really eye-opening to me um, was there anything in particular in the article that stood out to you, Felix? I think just a few more juicy tidbits about the specifics of PVE, which was one of the main focuses of the article. And we'll certainly be discussing a little more during our random topic. But honestly, anytime James White says anything in an interview or writes an article, I'm not sure if he writes them, them himself or it's ghostwritten and he puts his name on it, but he is just such a compelling speaker and I guess spokesperson for the game. You can tell Mm -hmm. that he's very passionate and very genuine about everything that he says. And he genuinely does want to deliver on the things that, that he promises. It's more of that general attitude, I guess that I, I always take away from his media. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to foreshadow a little bit, but when we got a chance to talk to him, it was, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to take up his time being Canadian. I wanted to be like, okay, you know, we'll get this thing done and then leave. But when he started asking me questions and engaging me and talking, man, I could have sat there and talked to him for hours, just like you said, passionate about what he's doing and, you know, him leading the forefront with the direction of how this game is going. He has all of the ideas and you just really want to pick his brain and get whatever little tidbits of information out of him uh, that you can. And he's really good at giving you enough and then not giving up too much in the future. So yeah, I could listen to James White talk all all the time. The one, two juice uh, video that came out uh, during the week was only 13 minutes long and I was, you know, I was really disappointed. I thought it was going to be like an hour long video, like his interviews usually are. And I was really excited to hear all of the things that he was going to talk about. And I actually really liked the direction that the one, two juice guys took it. It was just a, a fun um, interview and it was very lighthearted. And that was really nice to see um, something a little bit different than the, the standard Q and a sessions that he usually goes through. Yeah, exactly. It's important to show that he's a person just like us at the end of the day. And I know this is very overblown when (laughs) celebrities or CEOs attempt to be relatable. Oh, they're just like us. They have the same problems. They they have their servants put their pants on one leg at a time, (laughs) just like you or I. Yeah, exactly. all, All that kind of thing. But... I I hope James White for as long as possible um, <laughs> retains just how down to earth and and funny and relatable he is. 
you know, of course we all turn evil when Flesh and Blood is is the number one game in the world and he's a trillionaire. I'm sure he'll yeah. he'll be a little different, but until then, let's enjoy this uh, while it lasts, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, move into the main topic for today. Uh, we're going to be talking about traveling to events. Uh, national season is coming upon us where there's some callings uh, closer to home. Traveling is something that we do on a semi-regular basis, and this is just a short trip. Calgary is three hours away approximately from Edmonton, and every competitive season, there's a group of us, sometimes four, sometimes eight, sometimes 12, uh, that make the trip up there. But making bigger trips is also something that the people in our community are somewhat used to we've been to a couple of the larger events around north america and we've had a great time in fact the the reason why we thought this would be a great topic for one of our episodes is because we're consider we consider ourselves very similar to a lot of fab fans uh around north america and hopefully worldwide we're just average people. We're not road specialists going mm-hmm. to every single event, grinding, getting prizes. These events are special to us because they're almost like vacations. We budget for one or two a year when it comes to the big ones, and we really want to make the most of it. And I think each time that that's happened for the last two years, we've had an amazing time. And hopefully in this upcoming half, uh, last half of this year, we'll we'll do the same with another big crew. Yeah, that's really well said. Um, and I agree with everything that you just said. So Felix, do you enjoy traveling? Before Fab? Not really, because I do so much traveling for my job. So I, I am an engineer. I don't go anywhere exciting. <laughs> it's yeah. usually to a construction site. Um, in some beautiful place in in Canada, but still, I I, I put on a lot of miles for work, um, and as a result, when it comes time for leisure, I typically just want to kick back and relax, spend time with family, spend time with friends locally, just enjoy and and not be stressed out about traveling. So really, before Flesh and Blood, I did not travel very much at all. Um, since getting into flesh and blood though, I have discovered that there is a way for someone, even someone that is quite tired from traveling for work, there's still a way for someone like myself to do it responsibly, to do it in a way where I can still have a lot of fun and really make the most out of it. How about you, Shay? Do you, do you like traveling? I do like traveling. I don't get to do it very often. Um, and since I've, uh, become a family man traveling, is a lot different and there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, but prior to you know, having a wife and child, I did travel a little bit um, for like, I went to a Gen Con. I was playing in 2007. I was playing a game called Dreamblade that was made by wizards of the coast. And they were having a, a world's or master's championship back then. And a buddy and I decided he convinced me to go. He was going to go and he decided he's like, Hey, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah. So we went to that and that was, Probably the only thing that I ever did for competitive um, traveling. And it was a hoot because it was Gen Con. So there was so much more than just the game that we were playing because it was, you know, the world's largest or Western Hemisphere largest gaming convention. And there was all new games coming out. And there was a, just it's Gen Con is a, a thing that people should go to. 
uh, a convention that people should try and go to if they have any interest in any games anywhere, which if you didn't, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. I would highly well, recommend going. Just for those not in the know, though, because I didn't know about Gen Con until I got really into board gaming. Gen Con is, yeah, like you said, a, a gaming convention, but board game focused, right? Yep, primarily um, board games. Uh, so you'll see new games coming out, expansions for games, distributors, independent um, board game manufacturers or um, people trying to sell sell their um, board game from an independent standpoint. Right. Uh, I, it's been a long time since I've looked into it. I'm not even sure what all, all what else that Gen Con does these days. Um, but it is, yeah, it is not video game. It is board game centered and focused. Yeah, and sometimes you'll hear reference to Gen Con in relation to Flesh and Blood as well, because other card games make a big push at Gen Con. I don't think Flesh and Blood has anything yet for Gen Con, but I could be mistaken. Um, just maybe another potential opportunity to to reach out to some some other tabletop and physical uh, gamers. Yeah, it, maybe it's not the demographic they're looking for yet. Um, right. Who knows? I'm not sure, but yeah, I haven't seen too much surrounding Fab and, and Gen Con, which you would you would think it would be really good exposure. Yeah, with all the imagine. yeah, with all the former board gamers that yep. uh, like you and I that that got very interested in Fab. Well, yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about uh, events. So let's let's suppose that an event pops up that you could be interested in. What's your first step? Is the city interesting? Is it somewhere mm. you want to go? Um, that's kind of what I look at. Um, and what is the event? Um, we're going to talk about, uh, is it worth it? And that statement encompasses a whole lot of thoughts, not just monetary, but is it exciting for you to go, um, to create memories is, are there other people that are going to go potentially? But yeah, I start with the city and is it something that I think I want to go for? And again, talking about being a family man, is it something that's, um, viable for my family to come to? Is there interesting things that they can go do while I'm at the event? What about you, Felix? Yeah, definitely sharing and building on all of those things that, that you said, which I completely agree with. It's to look at the event itself. Now, if, if someone says, hey, there's an armory event going on in another city, <laughs> I'm probably not too inclined to go. I'm yeah. sure it's probably a great event. And the same thing if it's a pro quest that's 3,000 kilometers away. That There has to be a certain specialness to, to the event. For example, if it's a calling, then I know there's going to be a great tournament there's going to be artists, there's going to be vendors. I want to know what it is about the event that makes it, like you said, worth it from the event point of view. Uh, I, I want to do my research about what special guests will be going. Is James White going to be there? Is anyone from LSS going to be there? Is my favorite artist? And from there, I, I think that's even my number one thing I could do with the city that's a little bit less desirable, to be honest, because, you know, the main attraction is the event itself. Yeah. Uh, but I, you, you are very conscientious to your, your family. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, I may be a little bit less so, I guess. It's, you know, it's not necessarily something that you have to think about whether, you know, your wife is going to come with you, but mm -hmm. it's certainly something that we look at. 
and it's not the deciding factor. It's just one of the first things that we look at. You know, are we is one person going or is three people going? It's a big difference when it comes to the finances. No, that that makes perfect sense, and definitely a, a flesh and blood card convention is very interesting for everyone. I think, but uh, <laughs> maybe your your wife and daughter would not want to spend all three days, uh, yeah. fourteen hours a day <laughs> yeah, in that exactly. convention hall. Exactly, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, I guess just a couple other considerations about is it worth it is a lot of these big events have promo items that are available. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be a little bit greedy. Those promo items do take, you know, they, they do factor into mm-hmm. whether I determine something is worth it or not. If there's a really sweet promo, if there's a special play mat, or if I know there's going to be something on the prize wall that's going to be really special to me that I'm going to treasure and keep for years to come, then that adds value. That's not, it doesn't have to be monetary. It could just be, um, for example, at the Calling Indianapolis, which I went to, they gave out cold foil dashes, young dashes to participants. So if, if you're a huge dash fan, maybe that would appeal to you. In fact, one of the favorite cards that I own uh, ever, uh, and that is now retired, unfortunately, is a participation promo from the very first Canadian Nationals, and that's my cold foil adult Ultim. And it's going to be special to me forever because not only is it a sweet card, but just looking at that card reminds me of, of how I got it. And in this case, it's uh, just showing up to the first Canadian nationals and being with a lot of my friends. If you were able to, sorry, if you got Briar or Lexi at Canadian Nats, would you have traded either of those heroes for Oldham? And would it be, would Oldham be as special to you if you did trade for it? Probably because pragmatically, I have this Oldham because it was the next one up on a stack of face down promos that some employee, you know, handed yep. out to me when I had it in my deck list. So, yep. yeah, I, I I do think it it would be, um, but who who's to say for sure? I I don't know. No, I think that makes sense. Like you and I, we're not when it comes to those kind of special promo items. You and I are on the same page. We're looking at them from a non monetary angle. You know, does this promo excite me? Am I, do I like this? Is it an artist? Is it a card that I use? Um, so I think you and I are on the same page in that regard. I would probably do the same thing. I would trade it for, you know, at the t- time it would have been Briar if I didn't get Briar because I also got the hero that I would have been after at the time. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it would, it makes sense to, to trade for it. And it, I think it still is special. Like you said, it's, it's random anyways. And the, the event is special and, you know, those cards or those promos are are a reminder of that event regardless of kind of how you obtain them yeah and i i remember at the time i was like whatever i play bravo bravo's the better guardian oldham who cares doesn't have (laughs) crippling crush but no one no one knew how to play the game back then no one knew how powerful oldham was with pulse and winter's whale and all that but Another thing is it just a, a bit of a funny story that you reminded me of. Uh, I remember being somewhat relieved that I didn't get a CF, you know, Levia because I think those were in the pool. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, unfortunately really disappointing for people. Um, we were traveling with a group of people. I forget how many there were at the time, um, but there was also a sports card convention going on at the same time. 
and we were kind of wandering the halls trying to find the Canadian Nationals uh, room. And so we kind of got escorted pretty quickly down there and we ended up getting into the hall. It seemed like earlier than most people. And we headed over to register for the event. And all of us, I think, from from Calgary that were there, we all ended up getting uh, CF Tales of Aria heroes for uh, entrance. And, you know, we're standing around looking at our cards, checking how sweet they are. We start to hear some rumblings of people getting disappointed because we find out that there wasn't, you know, a uh, hundred plus CF Tales of Aria heroes, which was the release at the time of Canadian Nats. That's kind of why it's important. People were really excited about uh, Tales of Aria being released, and we were stoked that that was the format for any of the sealed or um, draft events. And then you hear people getting CF Leviathans and CF Boltons. And, you know, unfortunately, there was a few people in the crowd that were not super stoked uh, with their participation prizes, which kind of sucks. I guess it just goes to show uh, early bird gets the worm, right? Totally pre-planned maneuver. We outsmarted <laughs> yeah. everyone. Oh, played. <laughs> Got the prizes. <laughs> we win already. Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, things like participation promos and cool stuff that's just available for all. It, it's a great way to evaluate the, you know, what kind of swag you're going to be coming out of an event for because... If you go in expecting to win the main event, you may be disappointed. <laughs> I, yeah. I know if I go in planning <laughs> to win the main event, pretty high chance I'll be disappointed. So yeah. I, I'll uh, I'll look at the participation promos and the other stuff that's available. Well, there's one thing that I feel like that also gets overlooked too. That um, I haven't been to a ton of events uh, like callings and battle hardens, but but there's usually like a secret um, promo prize or something along those lines, like at the Canadian Nats, we got uh, Tales of Aria card box, which unfortunately, again, people were a little disappointed with because of the expectation set a few weeks earlier somewhere in Europe. They, their entrance was an Art of War play mat, which was obviously super nice. But that being said, regardless, I think it's cool that there is kind of something that you, the pro, not the promise, the, the concept or the idea that you might get something that you weren't necessarily counting on. That's also kind of a little bit of factor in you know going to these events for some people uh it is for me i don't know how you feel about it felix yeah for sure and i guess my advice would be don't expect to get anything but just just treat it as a pleasant surprise if yeah. you do get yeah. get something over and above um i guess funnily enough you remember when at the first canadian nationals they brought in pizza now, it was not the best pizza, but it was a nice gesture. That added was, a yeah. tiny bit of value yeah. to the day. I mean, people were hungry. It was a long day. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was you're right. It was a tiny gesture, but it was it was still nice. Yeah. Um, so mo moving on, uh, what's one of the next things that we, you look at for considering going to one of these events? Yeah, for sure. So let's say that you've cleared it with your family, you've cleared it with your work, you have the time off, you've taken a look at the event, you think it's going to be worth it to you for whatever reason, be it uh, monetary or think you'll be a great experience, then the first thing you do, look at how to get there. So is it a flight? Is it a plane trip? Is it a road trip? The number one advice that I would implore you to follow is see who else around you is going. Of course, if you're comfortable traveling with those people, we all know that there's a lot of fixed expenses when it comes to taking trips. 
an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi costs a lot when it's just one of you, but when it's split many ways, uh, that is a lot easier of a pill to swallow. Um, I know some people like to have, you know, get their own hotel rooms. Some people are comfortable splitting a hotel or an Airbnb or something. But there's so many other fixed expenses that come with traveling that no matter what, going with a group is more efficient. So the first mm-hmm. thing I want to do is start planning travel and just broadcasting to everyone inside our local Discord, inside our local community. Hey, I'm thinking about going to this event. Is anyone else interested? This looks like a good time. There's this promo or there's this artist that's going to be there. Then I'll just start to build up, uh, you know, start to see who else is interested so we can start making plans and and hopefully saving a little bit of money that way. What do you think? Yeah, I'm in line with you. Um, I'm all about making the experience more cost effective. And again, for me, it's a social event before it's a competitive event. So the more people that I can go with, well, not, not, you know, 30 people, but, you know, the more people that we can go with, it's and share those experiences and have those fun times. Uh, those are always worth it for me. And it's the little incidental side things that also become fun um, that you don't expect to be where we go for dinner afterwards and you can't get a Diet Coke, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's better to go with people if, you know, you're OK with the social dynamic of of traveling with other people and you have to also realize that when you go with a group of people that um, you can't be fixed in everything that you want to do. You have to share ideas and everybody has to have their own time in the spotlight on what they might want to do or where they want to go or how they want to do something and just be flexible with the group. Um, you know, obviously if you can't be flexible for whatever reason, that makes it a bit more difficult. Um, but I find usually people are very accommodating. Everybody's there to have fun and have a good time and create those memories. So if somebody has some needs that might be need to be met, I find most people very accommodating when it comes to that. So I find traveling with people not usually that difficult of a dynamic. Yeah. And one thing that may be more applicable to our community in particular, but also to any community that does a lot of shorter trips with a lot of different people going, I always encourage people to mix and match their carpools especially because if you just keep on going with the same group of people time and time again, maybe that's your dynamic and and that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, For a community like ours, which I hope people feel to be quite welcoming and egalitarian in a way, I'm one of the drivers that typically is driving one of the cars up on our trips up to Edmonton. I, I don't want people to feel like my car or so, so-and-so's car is for the inner circle. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lesser car of the leftovers and all of that. I, I actively try to make sure that it's not the same people, at least in my vehicle. But I've noticed that it's pretty similar for the other drivers, that they're pretty open to, you know, just whoever the first person is, you know, you get a seat in my car. Yeah. And I think that's that's really great. Um, you know, car rides are, are great just for chatting. I'm typically pretty introverted. I don't talk a lot. But in a car, 
I, I'm great to talk, you know, it helps keep me engaged as a driver. I want to know about my passengers. We can talk about where we want to stop for food, like all these little things. It seems very silly just to talk about here, but it makes a big difference. Yep. And that's one of the best opportunities to then, like you mentioned, learn more about the people that are in your community and develop those relationships, which then expand that circle to more people, which then more people are comfortable in and you get greater dynamics and, you know, uh, build more friendships and create a tighter community. But you're also growing the community. So it's not tight, small, it becomes tight, large, um, yeah. bigger. And I really, you know, that's really important to you and I, and that's why I really appreciate that you actively search for people that are not necessarily, uh, traveling with you, um, you know, for whatever reason, but then there's an opportunity, somebody does need a car ride you're like yep you have a spot in my car because we've never traveled together and i i think that's something that a lot of people would overlook that you know my group of three people we always travel in a car together and away we go and this group of four people they always travel in their car and you know us putting it out there i hope really helps people expand the outlook on who they let in their car in the future you know yeah, yeah, just it, it feels a little like elementary school gym class just to have a, <laughs> these are the people that didn't get picked and mm-hmm. <laughs> either you're by yourself or you're, you're forced to all go with each other and everyone knows that you're the leftovers. So we definitely yeah, try to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a human nature thing for us too at yeah. this point. We just naturally associate ourselves with people that we're comfortable with. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's, it's easier. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's not malicious on anyone's part, no, but it, it's just something intentful that people can do to to just add very little cost to yourself. Um, yeah, probably like, yeah, just to to help build those bonds. So yeah, so we've talked about, um, you know, where the event is, how we're going to get there, who we're going to go with. Now the next thing is, how are you going to spend your time when you're there, Felix? Well, this is a huge, huge question, and I'll keep my answer pretty short, uh, and then I'll throw it back to you. (laughs) But I want to know if I'm going to be playing or judging, and I want to know if I'm interested in the main event or if I'm mostly there for side events and for artists and all of that. So the player versus judge distinction is pretty easy. Um, If I'm going to judge, then that sets a lot of constraints on my day because i'm Mm -hmm. there to work um but if i'm going to play the main event then that's going to change my approach then i need to think about am i going to be upset if i lose every game or am i genuinely just there to have a good time do i have certain competitive expectations so that's kind of what i'm thinking of first of all when i'm taking a very high level look at planning out um, going to an event, am I going to play? Am I going to judge? And if I'm going to play, am I going to have any kind of competitive expectations? If I Mm -hmm. do, then I'm going to start practicing. I'm going to try to make sure that what I'm doing aligns with those competitive goals. If I have any, what about you, Shay? What are some things that uh, you like to do when, when you're at a big event? Yeah. So usually I'd be going for the main event. Um, I'm considering judging also. Uh, I haven't yet. So primarily I come from the angle of playing. So the main event is the reason to go for me. Uh, so I look at that and I kind of wing it from there. Uh, yeah, honestly, there's enough people when we travel that are so excited about other things. I kind of let them 
figure that dynamic out. And I just kind of follow along. Um, you know, if we're going to be standing in line for artists or like you said, whether, what other side events, um, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. So I will stand in line for an artist if I'm excited about it. And if not, then I will go find a side event that I might want to, um, try and get some prize wall tickets in, um, going back to the, the world's example. It was my first event with prize tickets and right from when you walk in the door, uh, we got our, our entrance package and we got registered we got put up against the prize wall in line and you get to stand there and drool over all of the gorgeous cold foils and play mats that were available and at worlds it was the cf frost hex or sorry uh, cf frostbite so i think if i had any plans up to that point they changed once i saw that cf frostbite and oh, yeah. i kind of spent a little bit more time um, playing in side events and making sure I hit the daily doubles to try and acquire those tickets to get that frostbite. I did do a little bit of um, setting a line for artists. We looked at some vendors, but uh, when I had time and there was nothing going on with the group, uh, I was finding ways to get to try and earn tickets in, in the side events. So that's kind of how I approach it. Uh, I, it's not necessarily for everybody, but um I am not a huge planner when it comes to things that I don't necessarily have to plan. Yes, I have to plan, you know, my plane ticket when we're going out there, where we're going uh, to stay. But once I'm at the event, it's kind of, I like to be flexible and I like to be open and just kind of roll with it. Because again, like I've mentioned before, I'm there to experience the event with people as well as myself. So if somebody's super stoked on meeting an artist or there's a, an opportunity to meet James White, I'll roll with that uh, and take those moments with those people because that uh that's fun for me so that's kind of how i look at it yeah no that's that's a really great mentality just to be flexible because within any kind of group of people i bet there's going to be some people that are very focused and they're a huge fan of such and such an artist i, <laughs> I remember justin in our group was very stoked that wiz new tan mm-hmm. would be uh would be there uh at san jose so yep think he he brought a lot of uh what was it swing big was it or crippling crush all those kinds yeah. of cards uh for signature i, and, I forget yeah and yeah it was made, the same sorry yeah it was the same when he went to baltimore too um oh yeah found an artist that he um was super excited about and he was all over it he, he started messaging me he's like whatever you want to get signed by this artist because you i know you're a icelander player um blanking on the artist at this moment but we got a cf frost hexes signed and uh, other uh, icelander cards and he, again like i let him lead that because he was the one that was more passionate about and i was like yeah this is i really appreciate you sharing your passion with me and allowing me into that space no that's that's awesome so you you did mention uh meeting james white so i appreciate the very easy segue here <laughs> That's a fourth yeah. wall break. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, you you have to share the story about uh, why I call you Slide in McGee. So just just for a little yeah. bit of context before I turn it over to Shay, I had heard that James White was doing meet and greets, uh, and there was a bit of a lineup, uh, but nothing too bad. No one really knew when he was going to be making his appearance so i just decided to line up it only looked like there were about 30 people in front of me and yeah just just stood there i was i could see some of my friends uh still playing in some side events 
for whatever reason, I think I was tired that day, dropped early, and and was just chilling. So it cost me nothing to stand in that line, and people just started lining up behind me. Mm-hmm. And James White starts uh, starts signing autographs. He shows up with a big stack of regicide mats, and yeah, I guess Shay, take it from there. Sure, you um, found out about that way before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even learn about the the playmat or the opportunity to meet James White until I don't know an hour hour and a half after it had started or something like that. And Alex came up to the table that I was sitting at. I don't even know if I was playing in an event at the time, but I saw him with a Regicide playmat, and I was like, "Where did you get this? This is amazing!" And he's like, "Well, I just stood in line and you know met James White." And I'm like, "What do you mean? I just stood in line and met James White? Where is everybody?" So then, um, uh, found a couple of people from our group that were standing in line. They happened to be basically at the end of the line. I think there was maybe three or four people um, behind them, and so I walk up, start talking to them, and I ask the people behind them, "I'm like, are you okay if I join my friends?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah super cool." So we're just chit-chatting and having a good time. And when we meet the Sneep people, uh, they were right beside us. And oh, nice. They were giving, I don't know if you saw this, but they made like a glass uh, amulet with uh, silver filigree or something like that. Uh, they made an eye of aphidia and they were standing in line to give it to James White. Oh, and wow. It was an amazing piece of jewelry. So if you ever get a chance to uh, see it or look for it, I, I would definitely encourage you to. And they were super great to talk to. So we spend, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes talking to them and, you know, our group of people. And then I was, I just kind of casually asked, like, who else is standing in line? And then somebody's like, well, Felix is up at the front. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go see Felix because we'd been standing there for a long time chit-chatting. So I just came up to the to the front just to talk to you. Um, there was this, like, you were, I think, like, third or fourth when I found you uh and there were stanchions just like one set of six foot stanchions kind of delineating where the entrance to meeting james white was and uh if i remember correctly mara was in front of you uh with her friend and then you were standing basically right at the end of the where the stanchion was so i made sure that i stood on the outside of the stanchion so that i didn't look like i butt in to you know get to the front of the line because that's definitely not what i did and i even told the people behind you i was like hey i'm just talking with my friend here i'm not gonna jump queue Uh, and they're like yeah cool no problem and so we're sitting there talking about you know what are you gonna ask james white are you getting a card signed and whatnot and then an lss or no maybe it might have been a cfb employee um whoever came by and said everybody you know james white has to eat he has things he has to do so i'm gonna count a number he didn't say what the number was and everybody after that uh, everybody before that gets to go in and there was like, okay, all right. And the line was long. There was no way the number was going to, you know, reach the end of the line. So he counts one, two, Mara, three, you, four, me, five, six, seven. He keeps counting down the line. And then he eventually cuts off like 20 or 30 people um, deep. And, you know, I turned to the group that I said I wasn't going to butt in front of. I said, do you guys mind? And they're like, no, man, go on in. And I was obviously very appreciative that they allowed me into the line. Um, and then so one other thing that, that was brought to my attention was um, Red Zone Rogue was standing in the line not too far in front of uh, our, our original group that I was standing with in this the Sneep guys. Uh, I guess he was the first person that got cut off. And so everybody blames me that Red Zone Rogue 
didn't get uh, to meet James White that day and that he had to stand in line again on Sunday. So that's the that's the story of Slidey McGee. How could you, share? <laughs> How could I do this to Red Zone Rogue? <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just listening to you, you know, just hearing you talk about that story just makes me happy in so many different ways. I mean, I mean, I felt a bit of like a schmuck. I felt really bad that, you know, I should have been at the back with the other guys and I should be standing with them on day two. But at the same time, I also kind of don't feel bad because I didn't have to stand in line for three hours. <laughs> That's right. Hey, you know, there's bank error in your favor sometimes, right? Yeah, it's, I uh, guess so. can't, can't, can't apologize for that too much. And I mean, you alluded to this at the beginning, but meeting James White, incredibly lucky to have that experience. Mm-hmm. That guy yep. oozes passion and, you know, you can just tell he's he's very genuine. Yeah, I shook my hand, just asked me what who my favorite hero was. He yep. told him bravo. He signed my Showtime, another one of my most treasured uh, fab possessions. And yay, just uh, yeah, what a great experience. Yeah, yeah it was we got an a awesome nice experience. photo together. Yeah, yeah, that was you, that was him. super nice. Uh, I yeah, probably my favorite experience about going to Worlds was getting to meet him and spend you know three or four minutes just chit chatting and like you said engaging questions with us and not what I expected. I don't know what I expected, but that wasn't what I thought was going to happen. And it felt like a moment of personability with the creator of the game. And it was such a, a great experience and heartwarming, I guess like it really makes me appreciate this game more than I think I did prior to that event. So, yeah. Yeah. And this happened on the last day, right on the Sunday, because on the Saturday, we were playing the calling. Right. And yeah, I, I, again, going there personally, myself with no competitive expectations, I don't think anyone from our team really had those expectations, but I, I could be misremembering. Um, I personally didn't make day two, but I wasn't sad about it at all. And as a result of not making day two, I was able to yeah, have great experiences like the one that we were just talking about. I got to take part in a couple other side events. I got to basically take in all the artists and all the vendors that I I ever wanted to uh, on that day. So keeping in with talking about traveling, or I guess jumping back a little bit, we're there. We're at the event, this major event or whatever it is that we're going to. What do we do next? Well, I want to make sure I know the schedule for the event, especially going back to if I have any sort of competitive aspirations. Um, I remember for Canadian Nationals and also for the calling that I judged, there were a lot of people that were late round one, especially at the calling. Yeah. And... I I just have to remind myself and I need to remind everyone else. There's a few things that are under your control. Of course, if you get in a car accident, I guess that's not under your control. But generally speaking, your own schedule is is under your own control. Start the day off right. Know know your schedule. Don't be late. Yeah, that's that's the baseline expectation, I guess. It sounds silly, but yeah. Looking around, uh, back at back at Worlds, um, lots of people raising their hand, uh, looking for a judge because they had no opponent. 
Mm. It kind of boggles my mind to to know that that happens or even experience it. Like how many people don't care about the event or they signed up? Maybe those some of them were pro tour people at the you know at Worlds because they thought they were maybe going to scrub out in day one, and so the calling they had signed up and never made it. I don't know what the excuse is, but there was a, a lot of people that kind of makes you wonder where you know you signed up and paid for this event. Why aren't you here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not here to give hardcore competitive advice, <laughs> no. right? Like what exactly a testing process should be or what the optimal nutritional blend is for the best performance. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would think that setting yourself up for success by if you do want to do well at an event, show up on time, give yourself plenty of margin so you're not panicked and rushing and running to your table to not be late and even something simple like hey you're out on vacation you made day two of an event are you gonna spend all the night before partying maybe maybe you maybe that's the way you have the most fun yep. like maybe you don't have any competitive aspirations for day two or maybe you're so good that you can do that and still win i don't know but <laughs> to me uh i think my most generic and useful advice to anyone that has those aspirations is just for the entire event while you're there and when you're off site just make sure that everything you do is in line with how you're going to have the most fun and get the most out of your experience yeah no sounds good yeah wow um i guess just uh last little note here um about the the planning phase and showing up is do you have a lot of experience um i guess going in a smaller group to an event versus a, a larger group not really a little bit uh, again hearkening back to my old school days in 2007 uh traveling with a single car to events to billings montana or vancouver it's basically the same thing. It's just less people and a bit easier to coordinate. Um, you know, you're traveling with uh, a group of people. Uh, yep. Sometimes you're in, you know, you're in the same car. You're even on flights together because uh, it's just a lot easier to organize. But yeah. it still remains to be relatively this the same, I think, and planning who you're traveling with, making sure that people are know the times when you're traveling. So whether it's by car or by plane, are you traveling with those people? Um, and then typically you're also staying at the same venue. So whether it be an Airbnb or a hotel or, you know, whether or not you're in the same room, but you know, it's, it's basically the same thing I think between small and large. Uh, right. That's how I see it. I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts or tips around it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just touching on the solo experience because if you're the only fab mm. fan in yeah. your community, uh, that shouldn't deter you from going out to one of these events, especially if you have the personality type that's good with meeting friends and and seizing the moment and all of that. I myself am not as much that personality type. I feel very jealous for someone that can enter a house party or a wedding or something not knowing anyone and 
coming out of the event with 20 new friends. That's very much not me. But if that is your personality, I bet you would have a great time going because everyone that I have met, well, okay, the vast majority of people that I've met at these events are very pleasant. Even some of my opponents from the calling just ran into me when I was getting food off the venue and remembered my name even and said, hey, Felix, like it was a great game. Some of us are going out for drinks later. Do you want to come? And it was a very nice offer. Um, it's just that kind of experience that that really makes me believe that if you are going by yourself to an event that you'll still have a really good time. I hope you'll you'll be able to meet some people to hang out with and, and share in the love of the game like that. I did go by myself to Indy. Uh, going as a judge, you do have built-in friends or, I guess, uh, <laughs> colleagues in a way yeah. that become friends. So that's not really going by yourself. Um, and I myself as well, I'm very comfortable just retiring to my own hotel room at the end of my day. Honestly, at the end of a day like that, I'm perfectly happy just to sit back and call my wife, talk for a bit and fall asleep. Like, that's... That's a fun night for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're judging, it does sound like it's um, a bit exhausting and taxing uh, to always be on all day and not being able to shut off. And yeah, it kind of makes sense that if you don't necessarily find that camaraderie or don't even want it, just you know, yeah. go get some rest for the next day because you're going to end up doing it again, whether you're judging or playing. Um, I have learned that playing a game is taxing way more mentally taxing than I ever thought it actually was. And oh yeah, you might feel like you're doing good uh, during the day, even up to dinner, but get back to that hotel. Uh, it's crash central for me. Uh, I just, yeah. Want to want to go to sleep, uh, which is unusual for me. Yeah. Do you, and when Shay says that this man doesn't sleep, so it, it doesn't mean yeah. a lot. So. Yeah. Do you do you have any other tips for how to spread the love to those members of your community that can't accompany you for whatever reason? I mean, I think one of the easiest ways is to like share photos, to, um, have conversations if you have like a Discord that you're part of. Um, you know, give people updates. People really like updates on how the group is doing, you know, whether it's good or bad, people still support you from afar. Uh, so whether it's, you know, just your buddy that you play at the kitchen table with, or if you have a whole discord of people, they, they want to, they want to know, you know, what's going on and they want to back you and support you in any way they can. So I, you know, we like to give round updates, whether people are winning or losing or cool swag that we found or just interesting little topics. Like I met, you know, so-and-so this, you know, fab celebrity. Um, that's one thing that I like to do to help kind of share it with the community. What about you? Yeah, no, that's, that's one of the most important things. And just the other thing that I can think of is a lot of artists uh, could be there if it's uh, a bigger event, like a calling or above. And when I think about artists, I think about artist signatures, artist proofs, and and other really unique stuff that might be really hard to get or a pain mm-hmm. to get if you're not right there. So one thing that I think everyone could do um, for their communities is just offer to bring cards for signature. Like if I know a certain artist is going to be at an event that I'm going to, I'll say, hey, so-and-so is going to be at the event. Here's the cards that they're you know that they've done so far is anyone interested in this uh do you want a signature and just just offer that service um i 
it's it would mean a lot i would suspect for some people to just have their favorite cards or the favorite especially favorite equipment or hero cards uh just signed by by the artist yeah Al, you know Alex got the Arachne signature, the graded uh, gradient one. Do you know if that was pre-planned or did somebody contact her and ask her if this was something she was interested in? Because that was super cool. That was super cool. Uh, yeah, the the Izuardi uh, yeah. signature looks so good. I, I forget the exact details. Hmm. I think it was coordinated over our Discord, but okay, yeah. yeah. I know she was super stoked to have that and oh yeah it is honestly one of the coolest pieces i think in in the collection of the our community yeah alex who is building a shrine to arachne in her home (laughs) one one day arachne will be good yeah (laughs) no that's that's sweet any closing thoughts before we wrap up this this segment no none for me how about you no let's let's move on to our random topic for the day and Let's talk about PvE games. Um, what is a PvE game, Shay? It is a player versus environment game. So typically it is you as the player or multiple players, so compatriots, playing against some sort of AI-directed game. So whether it be a video game or even board games now um, have the ability to do PvE. So that would be how I would describe a PvE game. Yeah, exactly. And it's video games and gaming in general gives you a very cool opportunity to work together with your your buddies. And it doesn't have to be adversarial like sports mm-hmm. sometimes can be. You're up against another team. There's a winner and, or a loser. Um, playing a PvE game, be it a raid in an MMO or a board game like Gloomhaven or Spirit Island or even something like an RPG. Um could kind of be be considered a PVE yep. games. Um, so do you, do you enjoy PVE games? Sure. I do very much, actually. It's since the, I guess, the the board gaming industry adopting a PVE with the beginning, like, pandemic, it's really helped, um, I don't want to say really helped, really engaged my wife and I to play more board games together. Um, because, like you said, uh, there's that non-player versus player competitive aspect gets removed. Um, And I find a lot of um, times when I wanted to do something with my wife, I'm very passionate about stuff when I get into it and she might not be as passionate. And that passion sometimes translate into time invested into a game. So you learn more about the intricacies and how things work, or maybe you learn about combos that you put together and it might give you uh, an unfair advantage against your opponent because uh, they're not as interested into the game. And therefore, that takes away some of their drive to join and play that game with you. So I find with you know these cooperative type games, I can be as invested in the game as I want. And my wife or my friends don't have to be. And we can still play the game and have fun because we're not competing against each other. Uh, so that's really uh, one of my favorite things about the, this new adoption of competitive or um, of cooperative games in the board gaming sphere. How about you, Felix? Yeah, just to build on everything that you said, uh, growing up playing video games, I really, really, really enjoyed RTS games like StarCraft, like Age of Empires. 
and I, I played competitively, uh, quote unquote, competitively on MSN Gaming Zone and whatever other, <laughs> <laughs> whatever other online avenues there were for for those games. Uh, and you know, you you develop your skills there. But then, when your friends in real life or or just friends that are getting into the game want to play against you, it's really not fair. Like someone that knows all the build orders and has two hundred APM playing yeah. StarCraft or Age of Empires against someone that doesn't know how to build their barracks. It's it's just not a good time for anyone. And of course, the shoe is on the other foot when I'm trying to play a shooter nowadays and I need to get carried by everyone else that's, yeah. that's playing yeah. alongside me. Um, but going into PvE, if done well, and we'll, we'll let you expand on, on how it can go well or how it could go badly, but if done well, it lets me and my friends tackle the computer as the opponent and that way i can carry a little bit but my compatriots can also contribute and we're all doing our own thing and helping each other i really really enjoy that uh i really enjoy working together with my friends to to overcome a challenge and the cool thing is that the difficulty can be adjusted and customized so much um to really suit the needs uh, of your group what you're hinting at is uh what we called quarterbacking syndrome in the board gaming world. Um, I mentioned Pandemic. Uh, you know, it was the first game of its kind that allowed four people, up to four people, to play a game cooperatively uh, and work toward work together to uh, a common goal. Um, the issue with that game was that it was simplistic in its nature as it was the first of its kind, and that one person could basically play everybody's turn. And so... Uh, I had experienced uh, games where there was like, well, why am I even playing if you're just coming up and going, hey, this is what I think you should do. And you're like, well, that's a really good idea. I didn't think of it. So but it's better than what I was going to do. And so that one person can tend to um, play the game for people if you have sort of like an alpha gamer in your group. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, sometimes people just want to play their game um, the way they want to play it. They have their own ideas. And so with like Gloomhaven and Spirit Island, like you mentioned, they have systems in place that help kind of negate or prevent that quarterbacking syndrome. So as we've gone along in the industry, those cooperative games have gotten a lot better uh, and a lot um, more restrictive in what how you can play the game um, so that not everybody can just play for you. And I really like that aspect. So that's kind of what he was talking about. Yeah, one kind of funny thing in the board gaming sphere, at least um, it was around two or three years ago. I've I've been a lot less into the board game space uh, since getting into Fab because there's only so much uh, so much time in the day. But one of the biggest ways that you could start an argument amongst invested board gamers is to argue if quarterbacking exists yeah. or if it's merely a playgroup problem <laughs> and whether or not <laughs> games should attempt even to to mitigate uh this quarterbacking issue yeah. and it just just to transition this a little bit into fab although we we don't need to stay there is for fab's pve mode i mean are you concerned about this quarterbacking issue being prevalent there i mean anytime i think about a 
cooperative game, a little part of me is concerned because personally, I did have some negative experiences with Pandemic. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's a very easy game to quarterback because it's 100% open information. The strongest player could just plan out everyone's moves and in the most optimal way. And some games like you alluded to have solved this by introducing hidden information like you're not allowed to talk about the contents of your hand and it's hidden other games might have a secret trader so (laughs) you're Mm -hmm. you're not sure if the person giving you advice is trying to sabotage you or not there's all these different mechanisms but yeah i mean are you are you concerned about that with fabs pve so you know it's all speculation at this point but going back to the ign article um, James White talked about it being a little bit more akin to an RPG. Mm. So is it going to be just you sit down with your friends with your deck and you fight a boss and the boss just flips cards and does whatever it is? I'm going to say no. It sounds like it's going to be a little bit more than that. So I am less worried about it because if there's um, strategy or more to it than just fighting a boss, that I think brings down the ability to have that quarterback. And also, like you kind of mentioned, hidden information. I'm going to guess that your hand would be hidden to uh, your um, <clears throat> hidden information from your from your friends or your, your co-op players. So I'm not as worried about it, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I also agree with you. And the tie-in to the RPG element is actually quite... Uh... It's quite good, actually, because RPGs, a lot of the more combat-focused RPGs, like, for example, Dungeons & Dragons is the most popular one for now. But things like that can be optimized, and if the playgroup really wanted to, they could just designate one person to be the party tactician and to move their characters Mm -hmm. and take every action for them. But... Something like that is pretty odd, I would think, for most D&D groups that I I can think of out there because the storyline is so important and each player's connection with their character is so important. It feels weird to just have someone else tell you what the optimal moves are for that character. So I I totally agree with you. Taking a more RPG-like approach seems to be the right move and i hope that there's also just a you know in conjunction with that maybe just a little bit of mechanical um incentives uh be that hidden information i think you you pointed out is the biggest one yeah you kind of touched on it too uh at the start of your statement there you would be a pg at that point you would just be playing a game if you let somebody and the I think why it doesn't happen in Dungeons and Dragons and other RPGs is that role-playing element. You created that character, you gave it a backstory, and you are the one who knows how it thinks. Yes, there may be an optimal line um, that a rogue would take when attacking an opponent, but you know maybe this rogue has a phobia of something, and that's not what they would do. They would do something else. And not having the ability to control what other people think is why I think that um, the flesh and blood, you know, PVE might have an easier time or a better time to not having that, not have that quarterbacking syndrome kind of thing. Yeah. I'm very curious to see what ways uh, the PVE format will have to 
I don't want to say discourage, but I guess prevent a... Uh, what's the word coagulation no it's like a convergence <laughs> a convergence onto every player just again treating the game like a competitive puzzle right to solve yeah. and how do i make my hand do the most damage or maybe maybe that's the game because there are other board games out there that are cooperative i mean this is a little bit veering away from the direction which james white said but there are other cooperative board games out there that are just very difficult and the way that they get that replayability is a little bit less through the storyline but it's just more in how difficult the higher yeah. difficulty settings are like yeah i don't know yeah like in gloomhaven you can set the difficulty of a scenario yeah uh, like you're talking about the the enemies can have more hit points, hit yeah. harder, have more abilities, and your skills as players really start to shine the harder you make the game. Um, and kind of akin to an RPG, if you just want to not have the combat in something like Gloomhaven, you can scale the difficulty of the combat down and just enjoy the story that you know uh, they're putting in front of you. Yeah. Well, really so, looking forward to to seeing more details. Like I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be excited to see what they do too. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, just just like you alluded to, I think this will be a great chance to to enjoy a, a good game with people that might may not necessarily be interested in the competitive side of Fab, but might be interested in the game system. They might connect with the characters, and they might feel very comfortable uh, playing alongside you. And yeah one reason why i'm a big fan of team events like even something like a 2v2 or 3v3 uh format would be very appealing to me is because just having someone alongside you is a huge comfort uh to to a lot of people yeah as we're kind of talking about this i came to the re realization that this might be the way i get my wife and my daughter into playing flesh and blood yeah. And that, again, that prospect of that is actually really exciting to, you know, find another way to spend time with my family. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that concludes today's episode of the IP2 podcast. We've been kind of talking for a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Please follow us on YouTube at IP2 Podcast, on Twitter at IP2 Podcast, and on Mastodon, IP2 Podcast at Wraith.Social. Thank you. Words are hard, man. Yeah, they are. Man, this was <laughs> supposed to be a short episode again. I like, thought it was going to be a short episode. Happening? I'm like, oh, we're like an hour 20. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God. Hey, this felt really natural. Like, we're super, super good. Yeah. Um. So one thing I wanted to go back. Did I screw up, like, this question here? Did I? Did we already, like, touch on this? I, I what? Which question? Like, it was the... No, like, we had spent so long on this topic. Like, yeah. there is no... no we, we had beat it all to death. Like, okay. it, it was totally good. <laughs>